don't need coffee or tea or water. Or no, I'm good, man. Right. I'm good. Um, uh, so welcome, everyone, to episode 22 yeah. of Room of Requirement, or a podcast dedicated to reason and resilience in the time of Trump. I'm one of your co-hosts, Kamala Shrao, and with me, as uh, always, is... I'm Miracle Jones, uh, and coming to you from Jackson Heights. Yeah. Uh, Queens. Uh, New York. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we like to start every podcast talking about how we're doing um, before we get into politics. Um, just to admit that politics is often very personal. So, Miracle Jones, how have you been? I haven't seen you in, what, a week? Yeah, it's been a week. We had a really nice dinner, and then, yeah, it's just been... And you guys are going on vacation again. Yeah, yeah, we're going on vacation sometime soon. Where are you headed out to? Uh, I'm headed to Durham, actually. Oh, uh, shit. Yeah, so I'm going to Durham, North Carolina. I guess we can talk a little bit about that, because there's a political element not related to my trip, but, you know, Durham is a hot spot of political intrigue these days. <laughs> um, but I'm just going to see my family. Uh, I'm going to travel to Asheville to see my sister, and then uh, we're going to um, go to Tennessee, uh, be blinded by the eclipse, and then visit some friends. So then, you're, you're going, you're going on an eclipse tour, right? Like uh, we are. I'm going on a family tour. Yeah. Angel's going on a friends and uh, an eclipse tour, yeah, yeah. and they just happen to involve me driving everywhere. <laughs> are you so, Are you looking forward to the eclipse? It's like the Y two K of uh, Well, except for that it'll actually <laughs> it'll happen. actually happen. Yeah. yeah <laughs> um, I don't. I mean, I guess I am. Um, I think uh, whatever we do, apparently, the that part of the country is gripped by eclipse madness. So I feel like there's no like podunk town that we could <laughs> we could set up in that won't be just crowded with tourists <laughs> trying to get one hundred percent of like. Uh, the eclipse experience. So yeah, I'm gonna look at the birth records. I just I believe that during the eclipse, you know, like then during in the time of Trump during yeah. the eclipse, that will be when the Antichrist is born. <laughs> I want to know when, where, just to have some range. <laughs> well, it's gonna cut off the swamp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right in the right, 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 right. Okay. in the middle. Look All for right. look for that. Yeah. So yeah, so uh, are there any other signs other than the eclipse, like a? Uh, Waters turning to blood. Yeah, that's the trick. You know, like we'll just I'll just read the news, check sure. the internet, see what happened, sure. who was born, just like mysterious miracles that have occurred during the eclipse. I know. mean, signs important to me. Actually, you do belong in a seventies uh, like omen, you know, sure. birth of Christ type movie where you're like the crazy guy who's like, like running around rummaging through all your clips newspapers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's definitely my brand. <laughs> I'm not saying it is your brand. I'm just saying in 40 years it could yeah, be your yeah, brand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice little beard. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, other than that, how are things um, with you, man? You've been all right for the past week? Been- yeah, pretty good. I was cat-sitting, actually, for a friend in the neighborhood, so I was going back and forth to there. And yeah. It was kind of nice. I haven't been alone in a while, but every yeah. time I was over there, like, I mean... I haven't been alone at all in a while. Like, I have a roommate, you know, like, I travel around. Like, I'm always with somebody in New York or around, you know, so it was weird to be, like, in an apartment alone. Yeah. You know, sometimes when I'm feeding this cat, you know, it was just, like, odd and strange. Yeah. It was it was actually kind of therapeutic. I just kind of like sat around and did some writing. It was very like kind of haunting and <laughs> terrifying. Um, I think in my adult life I have lived alone for eleven months. Yeah, and I'm did I'm, it destroy you. Yeah, yeah, like, uh, I, yeah I kind of did. Um, it was a lot of other things, but yeah, it, uh, yeah, I 
I, in some ways, never recovered from that. Yeah, I don't think <laughs> it's good. Yeah. <laughs> um, I know people who are like, I can never live with anyone, or yeah, like, you know, I, mean, I can't I was... go back to having a roommate, and I was like, oh my god, I just need people. Actually, I moved from uh, living with my, uh, just by myself, to having a three-bedroom, so, right. um, just so I could get extra roommates. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I prefer living with people, and yeah. always have, and always will, but it was, it was just... It's definitely a strange feeling. Like yeah. You just don't really... I, I think that's how most people live, right? right? Like, they live by themselves or, like, yeah. in a place not surrounded by a million people, <laughs> just kind of, like, teeming and making noise. Right. <laughs> and with me, I was uh, living by myself. I was single at the time, and I was working kind of at home a lot. So, like, I didn't see people, like, during the winter months, period. <laughs> it was just, like, a miserable time. I had, like, mice. Like, it was... Yeah, there's a lot going on. None of it was good into the soul I guess. <laughs> yeah yeah um on the other hand i, I think I, I emerged from that saying like you know what solitary confinement yeah I mean, that's my strategy in prison is to go for solitary confinement because i've done it oh really yeah i feel like i could do it yeah, yeah. i could not I could <laughs> fucking, I'd just invent people to talk to and just emerge insane i mean the thing <laughs> is solitary confinement no one would know. I, mean, <laughs> I guess that's true. You just have to make the transition out eventually. But yeah. like, if you invented people, yeah, great. That's your that's your coping mechanism. Yeah, I see. <laughs> but that, that's something that's something kind of unique. Like every morning, I the guy next who lives next door prays extremely loudly. Yeah, and it's always kind of that's kind of like my alarm clock for a little while. You know, wake oh, yeah. up, like I have a cup of coffee. It's like. You can, I can, the walls are thin in New York, right? Yeah. Like there's no. You're always kind of not too far away from anybody else. Right? Yeah. Like it's it's a unique kind of way to live that we all just kind of become accustomed to, right? Like you can hear your neighbors fucking. You can like the, the street is full of people yelling. Yeah. A gunshot might ring out and you don't care. Like right. And I, one of the things is um, as I slide into being more and more bourgeois every day, like buying a house. Yeah. Like you know, people talk about this and that, but like. One of the things that really matters is that, I mean, you have to have good neighbors. Like, you yeah. pray to God that you, like, like blow someone who's yeah. like, really, really quiet and then, like, you know, aren't surrounded by complete jackasses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, I mean, all of that matters, especially when you try to buy uh, real estate in New York. Because you're always going to buy, like, an apartment, which you have to share immediately. Um, at least your, your immediate environments are, are always shared. Yeah, I think, you know, there's a perception from outside that New Yorkers are, like, rude and cruel and, like, crass and, and like, mean. Which is kind of true. It's true, but at the same time, I think it's, like, there's, like, a nobility to the human spirit for, like, how much worse they could be, <laughs> given the, like... Yeah, we, yeah given, given that this yeah, could just be anarchy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah there's yeah. no reason for... Yeah, it's it's kind of amazing. This it's level kind of, of civility. Yeah, I think it's kind of amazing how yeah. civil people are, given, like, the stressors of what's happening on a regular basis like, yeah there's a you know possibility no one's like slept and like we're all working and shit like a sandwich is like 20 bucks like yeah it's <laughs> fucked up like you know <laughs> and everybody's yeah. kind of like is on the same bit you know you'll you'll be on this in the subway and there's kind of a default decorum that sets in it's quiet everybody it's people's time to be alone 
but like actually being alone that was something new like right. I, I just hadn't happened in like ye- i realized it'd been years <laughs> since like sat in an apartment and like i knew no one was coming <laughs> and like i was just alone like i could i could choose my level of aloneness i was there for like 20 minutes at a time <laughs> but i was still like uh, do you think over time it would build up like you'd eventually be like half an hour maybe <laughs> maybe like but yeah, it, was, it was it was very unnerving um the one thing, uh, so my mom has lived alone for a long time um, after the divorce, and so she's always, and like, she just gets more and more kind of like kooky and eccentric <laughs> and like like set in her ways. Really? And now she's like o- much older. Um, but I, I have no idea how she's, if she needs to go into something like uh, assisted living or anything like that. I don't know how she she's going to manage, um, not in terms of uh, finances or whatever, it's just she is really set in her way. She's been on her own since, like, I don't know, like, the past 20 years. And you like, and me, buddy. We go down to Durham oh, and it. we parent trap your parents. <laughs> <laughs> I, heard, I think I've told you this. I have um, anxiety dreams where my parents are remarried yeah. and we all have to, like, kind of deal with that. And I wake up, like, in a cold sweat and I'm like, oh, thank God they're still divorced. <laughs> Do you think they're going to end up in the same assisted living facility, though? Uh, I don't know. I mean, really, I think it's going to happen. What's going to happen? It would be convenient for you. Yeah, I, I really think what's going to happen is that my mom will move up here. Oh, really? <laughs> and then my dad will move in with my sister. Interesting. Uh, Do you I mean, think maybe, she'll move in with you? Uh, I mean, I, I, I imagine that she'll get. I mean, if I stick in this neighborhood, my mom will be just another Indian in like a studio in Jackson Heights, and just be perfectly fine with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, she'll speak Gujarati to the people of uh, Patel Brothers. It'll be fine. She'll bargain for discounts on where you're. You know, even though the sign says no bargaining. Yeah, that'll be my mom. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I, I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, it's a hard kind of. It it's a hard thing to plan around because uh, neither of my parents have really made um, allowances or plans for that future. That's very very imminent. So I'm a I'm a planner. I I want things laid out. I um you know I I I like escape plans and I like Plan Bs and Cs and every time my parents I every time I talk to my parents and I have to do that when I go home I have to figure out like what's the next step because. They're not getting younger, and uh, we have just enough time to make, oh, to do enough to like make sure the transition is as smooth as possible because they're still relatively physically capable and they're mentally all there. So um, these are the issues of growing up. So yeah, that's a that's a lot to worry. I mean, you know, worry about maybe. Yeah, I mean, I you know. I guess things will work themselves out, but I think it can be really stressful. That's fair. I mean, that's extremely noble and responsible of you, honestly. Like, a lot of people in America just fucking let their parents <laughs> go. They really do. Yeah. They just, like, never see them again. Yeah, no, like... I, uh, the guilt um, <laughs> the guilt of me being a bad son weighs heavily. I'm, like, firstborn male yeah. child. Like, I mean, it's, like, yeah, I was just brought up. So, I, I mean, in a lot of ways, I'm lucky because my parents have been independent for so long, but... Um, uh, at some point, they're not going to be able to do that, and so uh, we have to plan. And I think that's that's hard on them admitting that they are no longer independent, and they may need to turn to people because they're also independent people. So, why is it breaking down like that, where you get your mom and your sister gets your dad? Uh, I can tolerate my mom. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and last time I checked, my sister and my mom are not speaking to each other at all. 
Uh, I mean, they go through like periods of like hot and cold. Whoa. It's it's a really because like, they're very similar. You said right, like they're no, like my my dad, oh, my okay. dad and my sister are really similar. I see, I see, um, I see. I'm I'm my mother's son. I um, see, interesting. Yeah, so I mean, um, it, I and, you know they've always had a really fraught relationship, and uh, it's it's really difficult. And I you know and I mean. Um, and my mom, my mom left my dad, so um, there are kind. Of, I don't know how many scars there are, but it's kind of weird to have like my mom walked out on my dad, and we stayed with my dad. Right. So it's like a weird <laughs> dynamic. Um, and my sister and my mother have just never really, really gotten along. Um, and so I often refer to the divorce, my parents' divorce, as like the happiest divorce in North America. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> we were so happy when my mom left, which is a horrible thing to say, but it made it just. It was it was really hard. My mom's kind of a difficult person, so um, I mean, she's much better off alone. Just um, uh, and uh, in a lot of ways, she takes out a, a lot of my sister. So they've, they've just never gotten along. And my sister's sensitive and and has never learned to deal with my mom. So do Angela and your mom get along? Or? Yeah. <laughs> There you go. I mean, I can kind of, I can kind of see that. Yeah, I mean, like my uh, my mom and Angela are are, are kind of similar. Like they're much more upfront yeah. and like kind of no nonsense, and you know they have very, they're very like stubborn. Um, right, right, in, right. The respect of two core carnivores. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Um, and Angela is like independent enough to be like, oh, okay, well, I mean, I. I can see what you are and like I don't need to like <laughs> kiss your butt or anything and so I mean it's you know you know Angel's very accepting of my mom's flaws and it's like okay I'm gonna go whatever right, right, right. play with my phone now so right. yeah, yeah I don't need to engage right. um, so yeah it works out for me well I mean kudos to you for even worrying about that yeah. <laughs> no, uh, uh, kudos to me if I do anything if I manage well, to accomplish will, anything yeah. I mean you're um, probably obsessed and it'll be very hard yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah I don't know I don't know what to think about that um, anything else going on not too much I mean beyond like the politics of everything yeah. which is, certainly has had an emotional effect I think sure. on everybody in America so <laughs> let's transition right yeah let's that. transition into <laughs> politics seamlessly um, so uh, politics are a number of things to talk about um, depending on how we want to do this uh, um, I think w- one of the things that we want to uh, try to do is kind of bring new insight um, and also kind of focus on what we think is important often a lot of times the news is um, especially the sort of cult of personality or the anti-cult of personality that surrounds Trump is often obfuscates uh, bigger issues on um, in that's going on that are going on in the world and that are going on in, in the US um, in this case though I think there's just a lot of <laughs> Uh, news around Charlottesville, and I think that's fair because it allows us to unpack a number of things. So. Yeah, it's it's a it's a historical moment. It's yeah. like a it's a outsized in its uh, the actual facts of what happened, the larger cultural impact of what has happened this weekend. I think will resonate for a long time. I think it's a watershed moment. Okay, yeah. do you want to just summarize what effectively has happened over the past? four days yeah so there was a rally planned uh 
in response to, I guess, Governor Terry McAuliffe's uh, sort of ongoing battle against Confederate statues. Right? Yeah, I think there's a local ordinance, too. Right, I right, think they right. were going to remove... But there is some, like, yeah. state-level... Yeah. yeah, but I think uh, local co- local government... In Charlottesville. Yeah, in Charlottesville. Uh, we're moving to uh, remove a statue from Robert E. Lee, yeah. uh, of Robert E. Lee, in Robert E. Lee Park yeah. in Charlottesville. <laughs> and they were going to try to rename it, um, and this then... Uh, precipitated sort of, uh, you know, this wasn't the only one planned, but there's kind of an ongoing sort of surge of white supremacist nationalist rallies in cities where Confederate statues are being removed. This was, I believe, not the first one, but certainly the most high profile, but it happened to be in a city that's extremely liberal, right? Right. It's a college town. It's a college town. uh, And so that brought with it uh, a number of people who, I mean, everybody in town basically who kind of showed up and from the surrounding area to to fight back, to counter-protest. And that led to sort of a kind of, I mean, what they were kind of planning all along, they got their dream of just like a a riot, essentially, that led to uh, kind of mass violence and then one death of somebody who was killed by a car who ran into the counter-protesters and, you know, every, all your, just white dudes in white polo shirts with tiki torches, you know, but I say a bunch, like 200 or so, who are representing the fucking classic confederate <laughs> nazi bullshit <that laughs> the dregs of american <laughs> society yeah, in some ways but in some but it's interesting you know like i in some i, I feel like i kind of grew up with these people on tv like on oprah and stuff and you just kind of learn to ignore them yeah but now it's a whole new generation that's like yeah i mean we had talked <coughs> about this in the last podcast yeah. but a lot of the white nationalists are they're like 20, 30 something. Yeah, so it's fucking yeah. horrifying. I mean, it's horrifying, but also, like, well, you know. I mean, from the, coming from the South, I mean, yeah. we're not um, we're not unaware that there is sort of deep-rooted racism around, uh, and that um, there are quite a lot of people who get very, very angry about Confederate symbols, but also just thinking about uh, basic um, changes in the racial makeup of the U.S. Um, and I and cultural, yeah, you know? cultural changes yeah. too. Um, uh, one of the kind of key standout moments, of course, was the failure of Donald Trump, our president, right. this is to speak effectively um, uh, about this issue. It seems that um, both on the right and the left, uh, there seems to have been kind of universal condemnation, except for the very far corners of of right wing Breitbart, uh, like Alex Jones world. Um, <laughs> Uh, just a condemnation of how Donald Trump handled it. He handled it poorly. He tried to assign blame to both sides. And then finally he came up with something um, that he should have said two days ago, which was that uh, he denounced uh, white racists. Um, and uh, Nat, and in that speech, of course, he, he led with... Um, uh, job statistics, and then he, <laughs> and then within a couple of hours, he was um, musing publicly about uh, about uh, granting immunity or or clemency to um, the sheriff Arpeo. I never know how to say his name. Sure, a lot Ar- of vowels. Yeah, Arpeo, uh, who is a, a, a lot sher- of vowels for a racist. By the way, <laughs> yeah, it sounds very Latin. Um, uh, Arpaio, or Arpaio, uh, the sheriff is a, an Arizona sheriff who has uh, made a name for himself for being um, 
just stridently anti-immigrant, and it was actually under indictment and I believe under investigation for convicted actually convicted yeah. uh, for um, just uh, racist practices and going after illegal immigrants. Yeah. So that is who Donald Trump is trying to. He wants that to be the conversation, right? <laughs> or he's trying to he's trying to placate his base with yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which I don't know how that's going to work. Um, but anyway, so uh, everything that came out of Donald Trump signaled a real ambivalence towards this issue, where it, it was very clear, I think, um, any the uh, any kind of establishment Republican would have just said the right words, um, and certainly the Democrats are are not going to be sympathetic to this. So uh, Donald Trump, I guess, failed to be presidential once again. Yeah, in a really kind of confusing way. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things that are so confusing it sort of reveals who he actually is, right? It's like yeah. there's no reason not to say that, you know? Yeah. It's very easy to condemn, you know? Right. I mean, the real reason not to say that is he's worried about the, the sort of the type of people or the people, maybe not the people who are writing and beating up people, but certainly the online troll version sure. of that, yeah. uh, that make up his base, um, that have been particularly nasty, um, who have issued threats and um, ugly racist, uh, you know, warnings to um, various people on the right and the left, especially anyone who dares to question the great Donald Trump. So. Yeah, he needs his shock troops to keep shocking. You know? Yeah. So if he doesn't want them, demoralize them. Yeah, And right. that is more important to him than attempting in any way to have the will of the people on his side. Right. Which seems stupid. Right. But that's kind of his plan, so. Yeah. Uh, I guess it remains to be seen if it bears political fruit. I feel that it will not. Yeah. So I think <laughs> in some ways this is... Uh, it just seems that there's no way that this doesn't hurt him in all. Uh, and 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 one of the things that has actually happened, and we can talk a little bit about this, is it actually, um, it actually took away some of the attention from a relatively good turn uh, event. And that is that North Korea seems to have backed down, and yeah. maybe crazy ass Donald Trump is able to like effectively speak the language of crazy ass, you know dear leader of North Korea. Um, so uh, whatever the policies, of the mishmash, bumbling policies of Donald Trump um, actually forced North Korea in some ways to back down. And I, I mean, I'm a little suspicious of that narrative. I think North Korea got exactly what it wanted, which is it threatened nuclear mm. war, and now it's going to be able to keep its nuclear program without any repercussions because it's not actually going to continue to threaten nuclear war or do no, anything about it that's so, an interesting interpretion i'll take that too yeah, yeah. yeah. that makes sense uh, so i think they're in great shape both sides can declare victory i guess since guam is still standing yeah and you know business as usual i suppose except right, the so, kims have a new extortion technique that has proved to be successful for future right years. and there's no halt to the north korea program right yeah. like so they there's nothing that's going to say that they're going to stop building missiles mm. and arm their uh, military and and build out their arsenal. So, uh, yeah. yeah. So, uh, so in terms of low bar, <laughs> we've, the administration <laughs> has hopped over to. Yeah. Uh, no nuclear war this weekend. And, and barely <laughs> condemning racism. Yep. So... Quite a quite a day, quite yeah, a weekend yeah. for a good old USA. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anything you can take away from this? What do you think are kind of the long term uh, repercussions of all of this? Well, I mean, it's hard to say. Like, it's bleak out there. I think everybody's taking it very hard, and I think there's a new inflammation on the left as far as like fighting Nazis, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, which I think is kind of 
a problem because I think the real issue is the Confederacy, which Confederacy is 200 plus years of institutional racism and slavery that the Nazis learned from in order to implement, like they're the foundations of, you know, white nationalism and like a lot of the Nazis learned from the Confederacy. Confederacy still exists. We have statues of the Confederacy. Oh, yeah, People the South. wave the fucking Confederate flag like it's a thing to be proud of. Like it's ours, whereas Nazis are kind of like an othering thing. It's like yeah. you can call it, there's like not that many Nazis in America. There's a ton of people that are sympathetic to the Confederacy for some reason. Sure. So I consider that the greater evil, right? Like, right. But it's also, you're, it's harder to attack, right? I also you, think that those two clog causes have become conflated, right? Right? So what's yeah. the difference between, I mean, sure. uh, so some guy, who, the guy who um, who murdered uh, the woman, right? He's from Ohio. Yeah. I don't, he's not a son of the South. Yeah, but he's a son of the, con- I mean, he believes in the, con- he believes in states' rights and the Confederacy. That's right, like, exactly. So, but, like, I mean, you know, that Confederate flag is still inside the Mississippi flag. I mean, there's sure. like, there's, there's a whole, it's a weird thing that happened where, because we killed each other for so long, so brutally, we created this, like, tense armistice with Samuel Tilden getting defeated by, you know, Rutherford B. Hayes and ending Reconstruction kind of prematurely, in my opinion, before, like... Yeah, I think... Reconstruction was unsustainable, but go ahead. Yeah, definitely. I mean, politically unsustainable. Politically unsustainable, but I mean, I'm not sure we should have like eased up on the military dictatorship so soon. <laughs> before, yeah. I mean, you know, like it worked for Germany for you know a good 50 years. Like maybe sure. it should have been. We should have gone a good solid generation before we let the South have its <laughs> it own. Did roughly. It was it was almost a generation, years, yeah. but you know, not not long enough. I think. Well, um, so the one thing I think uh, that I take away from history, right? Yeah. So there's um. There's kind of this lofty uh, rhetoric that come that keeps getting quoted from the Obama years about the uh, arc of justice sure. bending upward, <laughs> um, and I think if you're honest about how uh, race relations or anything that you consider a progressive cause moved forward, um, I think you can be. I think there's a lazy narrative post civil rights to say that okay things just go our way like. Oh, without fighting for it? Yeah, yeah. without fighting for it. And that is, and I think that's just, it's a, it was always a dangerous kind of complacency, mm-hmm. but it's just fundamentally untrue, right? So you can actually see where post-Reconstruction, for example, there's a really bleak moment around the 1880s to 1910s, maybe even a little later, where there is actually a retrenchment of progress made uh, by black people, by African Americans. Um, and, you know, these things come and go, and, and not, not necessarily cycles, but there's always the process of being uh, retrenched, right? So, I mean, if you consider um, any kind of freedom that are, there really does... Uh, there is always the possibility that that freedom is temporary. It's not a. It's not a guarantee that it's it will last forever. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that, that, that's kind of what I mean. You got to put the fear of God in people. People don't consider themselves. Uh, some people do consider themselves Nazis, mm-hmm. but way more people in America consider themselves Confederates. They would be happy to see the CSA come back to life and fucking, you know. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know the actual numbers. I think that they're. Um, What's happening is that there are there are sorts of cultural agreements, and uh, at the very fringe, it turn, takes a really ugly, racist, violent um, tone to it. Right. Yeah. So the difference between a Nazi and a Confederate, I, I think, is geography. <laughs> like, <laughs> so, <maybe> so. <laughs> it's just the Mason Dixon, right? Like, maybe so, yeah. 
because um, I, I don't think I don't think a confederate would think of themselves as a Nazi. They would just be defending the Confederacy. Whereas apparently, if you're from Ohio or I don't know Michigan, now you are more likely to align yourself with something that's closer to being a neo-Nazi. There's like these are the dregs of American society, right? And they've oh. been given. I mean, I would say that, but they've been given. They've been given like faith and credit by the presidency, which is kind of chilling. Yeah, it's kind of terrible. Yeah. Uh, and in this case, like, um, you know, we're always anti-Trump, and I think, you know, our last podcast made me think about, okay, well, we need to really interrogate, make sure that we are very clear about the architecture of our reasoning, right? Like, yeah. yeah. But in this case, I think Donald Trump just out and out failed, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, this is a, there, this isn't an issue about trade policy or immigration. This is an issue of just being able to say, hey, such and such is racist. I condemn it. It is the easiest thing in the world to do. I think the silence or the w- unwillingness to speak says in itself volumes about a hesitancy about a president that's worried about that base. Um, and then also the dynamic of what that means within his own cabinet, right? So what? how does uh, someone like Steve Bannon play out? And there's been a lot of speculation about what Steve Bannon's role is. I think the spoiler alert is that he's not going anywhere. Yeah. One of the debates is whether or not Donald Trump is using the white nationalists um, <laughs> to get to feed his ego and then I guess in some ways be propelled into political power. Or and whether he's sort of a pragmatist that will ditch him when they become toxic to him, um, which is his mo. Yeah. He he has kind of no loyalty. So you think he's going to bankrupt the white nationalists and uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> just going to leverage them? Yeah, and leverage them. Yeah, yeah, just won't build. Yeah, um, uh, <laughs> he'll just solicit donations for the yeah. wall and then walk away. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it would kind of be brilliant. Yeah. Um, I think. Um, I think there. I think trying to draw that line between whether he's a pragmatist or whether he's a true believer, I think is nonsense, right? Mm-hmm. I think Donald, doesn't matter at ultimately. Yeah, Donald Trump is a narcissist. Was Robert E. Lee a pragmatist or a true believer? <laughs> you know? Doesn't matter. He was the general. Yeah. At a certain point, it became about his ego and winning, as opposed to you know the, the actual troops and what they believed, right? Yeah, I guess so. What I'm saying is eventually it becomes personal, right? If white nationalists are the only people defending Trump. Yeah, obviously. So I think this is the point, is that Trump is, his ego is so tied with sort of adulation, Mm -hmm. and uh, there's no way to, um, there's no way to uh, disentangle uh, how much he feels for them and how much he, if the base is strong and supportive of him, he's going to love them. Um, and he's going to sympathize with them. And he's a shallow enough thinker to be like, okay, I can be convinced by that because you are praising me. So whoever praises him, uh, he is a good person whose ideology he believes, and whoever attacks him is a bad person who doesn't have a real uh, case to be made. Um, so this is the shallow, self-absorbed, uh, potted psychology of Donald Trump. Um, all of which is to say that expecting things to change immediately because of Charlottesville, I think is wrong and misguided. We did see, I thought this was interesting, we did see two big responses from both of our hometowns, actually. Uh, so, right, I'm from Durham, North Carolina, yeah, and they... I'm from College Station. That's uh, what happened in College Station? So Texas A&M canceled the white... Oh, the Charles yeah, Richard Special, that was, yeah, yeah it's yeah, Texas yeah. A&M, right. Yeah, so that was uh, an interesting kind of response. I thought that was great. I was extremely proud of my University. I'm a former student of Texas A&M. Yeah. I did not graduate from there, but so um, I would uh, in my hometown. Um, yeah. Some activists pulled down a statue of sort of a, 
generic Confederate soldier. Yeah. Um, which is, I think... I is it commemorating the Confederate war dead or something? Yeah, like, war dead or like, like the the yeoman farmer <laughs> soldier of the Confederacy. I hate the Confederacy so much. It's so so full of bad faith, like <laughs> sentimental bullshit. If there's any reason to tear down these statues, it's for their aesthetic torpor. Like, they're just like bad and the people they commemorate Right, and, and there's enough... Shitheads anyways. Yeah, no, there, there are... Um, and officializations and kind of data going around about like they didn't build the confederate statues like during the confederacy yeah because they needed the metal and they didn't do it during <laughs> reconstruction they did it at some point uh, there's a surge after um after uh, uh after the surge of the ku klux klan which sure. was in itself spawn uh, which was in itself um inspired by um, the movie, the D.W. Griffith movie, yeah, that, Birth that of a Nation. The 30s, but then they came back in the 50s, right? Yeah, yeah. so, like, yeah, there's spikes, like, at around, yeah, like, yeah. the late late teens to early 20s, where, yeah. like, so, like all of a sudden people are joining the Klan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there's an interesting clipping going around about how uh, Donald Trump's dad was probably arrested at a Klan rally in Queens. <laughs> sure, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, well, anyway, I, we can talk a little bit about Durham, but I, I'm less than impressed about, like, just uprooting a statue like i think that's yeah. it's yeah i mean it's something it's it's a lame symbolic victory but you know it's it, it makes people feel better i guess people needed reasons to feel better when people are fucking getting murdered by nazis i, I don't know it's a or, you know at least like deranged people from ohio who think they're nazis it's 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 i i can see it, it it's better than you know torching the houses of you know Southern governors. Oh, I just, in general, because I'm a fan of history, I think that yeah. like statue, like destroying a statue, like it's just something that people do. Um, yeah. And because they're so angry at the past aesthetic, I would much rather it just be preserved and moved out of sight. Yeah, but, but now it's part of history that this statue was destroyed too, right? It adds to the value of this statue. Like the statue that was taken down publicly in this like video will now be the most like important statue taken down. Right? People will go visit this statue the most, right? Like this is the one that was actually removed by like, after right, Charlottesville, can, right? Right. I can see a museum of the South having it yeah. like having the like crumpled body of the <laughs> yeah. statue yeah, on yeah, display. Yeah, yeah. It'll be like kind of yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right? Like, I don't know. I, I'm I'm much more of a Law and Order kind of guy. Right. I think so. So, like, I don't <laughs> love people kind of spontaneously destroying property on the, what is it? I think it's in the outside of the courthouse. I don't know, Durham, do you, where is it? I think it's outside the courthouse. Yeah, I have yeah. to remember, because I have to remember where it is. But anyway, so, yeah, it's outside the courthouse. Um, so, yeah, I don't love that. I don't <laughs> love that. I, I got to be honest. There are better ways to do that. Do you want to talk about race in America? Sure, sure. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's worth talking about, right? I, um, so... I'm going to come from a different perspective than you are, probably. Yeah. Um, so I don't know where. Uh, so you're a, a liberal white guilter. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> explain the liberal white guilt. Liberal white guilt. Well, I mean, I believe that there are systemic problems in America, specifically in the criminal justice system, that create like disparities that lead that make it harder to get by if you're black, specifically, and if you're some other race has a halo effect of being black, right? In America, right? So there's like a so these systemic problems need to be addressed from a Supreme Court slash all the way down to local level everywhere from new york to alaska 
to Guam to... Let me say this. Okay, so I do think that there are systemic issues, right? Yeah. Uh, um, there are systemic issues that, uh, and like you said, with the justice system, uh, that tend to um, reinforce kind of a cycle of racism or and even... Uh, we can talk about class, too, because I think yeah. that there's often a really blunt prescription of class. One of the things, though, I, um, is that where the left comes from mm-hmm. um, is that effectively they have a narrative that up until maybe 2016, maybe even November 10th, 2016, involved <laughs> sort of this triumph, right, of um, of sort of a, a high-minded liberal perspective that said that we are able to move racial justice is moving forward um, and what we need are the tools that we have, right? So we have a um, either uh, the civil rights uh, mentality or by pushing the courts to do, take certain actions, this is how we move racial justice forward. Um, to me, I think that's actually, uh, I think it's, it's, it's sort of a, it was always sort of a shallow read of history and I think it's relatively wrong. The reason I think it's relatively wrong is that uh, we are not going, um, we're, we're going from effectively what is a white majority country to a white plurality country, right? And so there's a really a big shift. I think this is causing anxiety on, on the right and cultural warriors. I think they're acting very poorly. Um, the other side to that, I think, is that um, is that you have a narrative of um, a narrative of uh, racial triumph on the left so that effectively that we are because we are victims we are forever we have a certain moral superiority and i think that makes it for i think the kind of problems that we have in terms of race in america are subtle and neither side and as i think in some ways the right has sort of captured this nonsense narrative but i also think that the left has captured a nonsense narrative right so the tools that the left would use either the courts or something like affirmative action are blunt tools to address issues from 20 years ago or even 30 years ago. And I think that, that the issues of race or even gender, class, uh, sexuality, these are much harder to define. The The real disparities are much more subtle and we need much more subtle tools. And I think uh, the left trying to go with sort of very broad, blunt tools often is self-defeating. Interesting, can you give like a specific example? Of what you mean? Yeah, I, uh, I mean, I anyway, so affirmative action, for mm. example. So affirmative action is uh, is an interesting example. It puts in racial quotas. Um, it's come under heat because of the way the Justice Department is going to try to litigate the uh, the propriety of, of affirmative action in public schools or public universities. Um, so undercutting this, I mean, effectively. On its face, I think um, affirmative action with racial quotas or the valuing of, of diversity, um, I think that's a it's a fundamental debate. And I think from the right, you would say that there's no reason you should have racial quotas, period. Uh, and from the left, it says the left should we should value diversity, period. And there's very little compromise. The truth is, though, um, they're both kind of right. Like, I mean, we should be moving. This is... Uh, 50 years after the, uh, civil rights, we are we. If we don't have a plan now, we will never have a plan. Oh, it's not that we will never have a plan. We've effectively not put in a plan for what does that transition look like. We just have a, we have we had a blunt tool, affirmative action, to solve problems. Um, and in theory, that if that tool is successful, then we should have a transition plan to get away from it. If it's not successful, then we need a transition plan to put in something that's effective. Um, I don't know how I feel about diversity as a metric. I think it can be very 
difficult to measure, and I think it often sorts out as um, as what are politically uh, valued groups and whether or not we have enough of them. And then, and with that comes a a real mindset, I think, of uh, of liberals that says that okay, well, I'm going to I'm going to categorize my friends by such and such groups and then count them and then I'm going to parade myself for being having X number of uh, this type of category and this type of category and it, it further reinforces um, stereotypes and I think that's or it, it I think it further reinforces sort of categories definitely so difference yeah because yeah you're, 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 you're yeah. it's clear and apparent that that's you know like what is diverse about you right, right exactly yeah. so you have to categorize people and i think socially this is a bad move so how do we what what are we uh, what are we trying to get at so i tend to look at economics i think this is one way to think about it so if there's a wealth gap that we're trying to address that a lot of people will argue that's what affirmative action is doing then we should need to think about it from and we need to think about how to address that wealth gap do we try then we should make admissions if we allow for admissions rather to be based on race it should be family income family wealth um, then we can we can start to slide those scales a little. Um, I think it's also about preparation, so that you would. Uh, I was just thinking about this actually. Uh, my wife and her friend were talking. They went to a, an engineering school, and they both felt pretty uh, unprepared. They were both women, and my wife actually didn't take calculus in high school, and so she was just lost that <laughs> first year. And it, I don't think, and like she often thinks about uh, the, how that affected her college career. But effectively, if you're going to take in people who traditionally don't come into that background, you should in some ways make allowances either uh, by extra tutoring or an extra year, extra semester, extra summer sessions. So that's that's what I think is important um, if you really want to address education because not only do you have to counter uh, uh, disparities in terms of resources, you also have uh, preparation. Um, and that's what's that's what I think should be talked about. That's not a that's not something you can say on a billboard. That is not something that is really easy and quota like because um, and at the same time, it's not. Um, and I guess I'm arguing against the left here because I don't believe necessarily in affirmative action. I think the right. Um, uh, I think the rights issues of, of color blindness or is. I think they are again, like you said, they're ignoring systemic and long-lasting disparities in terms of wealth. There's empirically, uh, I think, uh, median black wealth is something like a factor of ten less than median black, median white wealth. And that's something that we have to think about. Right. It seems like the strategy of the, the white nationalists all the way up to Jeff Sessions is to send America into a racist dirtbag cultural death spiral in order to lower America's perception in the world in order to lower rates of immigration, right? Like, that seems to be like a clear goal, right? To make people not want to come to America by... I think there's an anti-immigration. By upping, by upping the brand of, like, racist Americans, right? And making them seem... And making them seem outsized culturally, right? Than they actually are, right? I, I wouldn't agree with exactly the argument, but I would say that the goals are right. They want to... They think of immigration as being without a doubt bad for America right and I do and it's kind of one of the only ways the Republican Party as it stands right now Trump's Republican Party can continue to hold power right because otherwise the demographics as you say of America will shift culturally and yeah. there just will inevitably be new power bases that they have no idea how to tap right yeah so I think one of the things that's very clear is that the modern Republican Party has no minority plan right there's no strategy out there that is moving forward and so, so you have a party that is more and more increasingly, increasingly one of white cultural identity, and 
the Democratic Party is a large umbrella and has its own issues, but that is true. I, I, to that end, like, how do you fight back against this when Trump is in office? How do you propose like a, a robust, you know, solution to the uh, cultural identity of America as like we are now going to be as shitty as possible to uh, publicly and culturally in order to make it seem like a hostile hell zone so that we get negative immigration, right? Yeah, I mean, I I don't have a great I don't have a great set of answers to that, but I don't think the answer is persecution. Right? Revenge. Revenge. I just right. don't well, you've think talked me out of revenge. I think <laughs> revenge is a bad idea. I think it's a bad aesthetic. I think and I, I think it, it sort of downplays our strengths, right? Like I mean we're supposed to be if anything, we're going to be a culture wants to dole out fairness and justice. How does it mean like Fine. But let it be known that there are liberals on the left <laughs> who are being talked out of revenge and reparations. The window is not moving toward the wholesale end of affirmative action it is moving away from revenge <laughs> <laughs> all right okay um <laughs> so i think we've tackled race <laughs> um uh i think our next section this at least this time was going to be doubling down on defeba sure um and i wanted to talk a little bit about antifa anyway so it's okay. a it's a perfect transition um of, uh, and I guess we've already kind of laid out our, our stakes because I actually think that Antifa is being kind of an embarrassment. Um, yes, and, I would agree with that. Yeah, and I, I maybe for different reasons. Well, I uh, to me, I've always and this is also maybe a cultural background. I've always wanted uh, moral protest to be nonviolent. Yeah. Also, they're just not scary. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if they, were, if they were actually scary and effective, I'd be all on board, but they're definitely not. Yeah. You know, like, that's the problem I have with, like, you know who's, and this is a point I wanted to make, you know who's scary? Fucking Southern lawyers. Like, <laughs> people who are seeking massive damages, right? right? Like, as a result of violence and situations of violence, right? Like, right. The towns and organizations that put them in who are personally, who see these protests as a tort. So no municipality then would host would allow. I mean, effectively, you're disincentivizing anyone to. You're basically saying you can protest, but anyone who allows you to protest will be sued into out of existence. But that's already true. I mean, like that's why that's why you have like universities absorbing this shit, and they're not doing it at like a Lowe's theater, right? It's like a public institution, so they're not afraid of the repercussions of getting sued because they realize it's a it's an organization that can absorb like a lawsuit, and also people will. You know, be sympathetic to Charlottesville and UVA. Um, I have a I have a better solution. Why don't we, I mean, so all our mar- all marches, all rallies have to go in unarmed. That's I mean, I I think most people should be unarmed in civilized society, generally speaking. Yes. Right. <laughs> I don't I, I don't want us to throw a cone of silence on on free speech just because I, I mean I think that. Nazis should be able to protest. I really do. I think that's important. Right, but should they be able to protest inside public universities? That's a bigger question, right? Like that's a different question. Like should public universities have to deal with the Where is a pu- so is that a non-public space? Is that what you're saying? Cuz a public university to me seems like a public space. I mean, it's a space with people there who are living, right? They have no choice. They can't leave. It's their home. Right. So it's it's definitely like a public private space right people live there right like it's a community right like i mean it, it definitely has 
you know, like, if you live on the UVA campus or on the Berkeley campus, right, you're seeing not only people, you're seeing Nazis come to your home. It's your essentially apartment complex, right? And the liability, and those are, you know, strangers marching with, you know, violent rhetoric and the intent to strike up a chaos in your backyard where you live, right? There's... That's that is a tort. I mean, whether it's it's neutral, you sue the right, you sue the left, who has committed violence, in and you sue whoever has brought this violent action there. Maybe it's not criminal, but it's certainly civil. I, I believe it is. I believe it is a, a way to, to scare fascists in a, in a way that actually does permanent damage. As I, I feel like we're veering towards revenge and I, I don't love it it's not revenge it's i mean it, people were killed you know the family of the person who was yeah, hit by I, a car 100%. the person the person that was brought to that town with a car and told that i mean yeah. and felt like that was a good thing to do around this you should sue the family should sue fox news they should sue like they may not win but fucking try you'll get a settlement I guarantee you, you'll get a settlement. Yeah, you get a settlement from Charlottesville. You get a settlement from the KKK. You'll I yeah, I I I'm not convinced. I am not convinced, but I do believe we're out of time, okay. so we're gonna have to end. <laughs> um, so this is uh, that's it. Um, all right. Uh, well, this has been uh, fun. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've been episode twenty two. Contingent America Riven. <laughs> uh, uh, I am your co-host Kamala Shra. <laughs> thanks for listening, and thanks for and thanks to Kevin Carter uh, for producing our music. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry about the rant. <laughs> <laughs> it's totally I'm fine. <laughs>